0: welcome to daily inner lake news now i'm your host taylor Enman. we're going over last week's biggest headlines and taking a look at what's coming up this week for the flathead valley in our deep dive segment this week i'm chatting with flathead county substance abuse and mental health collaboration specialist jeremy dear rule we chat about what he believes is necessary to meet the needs of the community and what events they have coming up for mental health awareness month but first here are some headlines Snowplow crews in Glacier National Park are making progress on the going-to-the-sun road. This time last week, they'd reach Haystack Creek. Glacier's head of maintenance, James Foster, called it white-knuckle territory, but any wrong move while plowing the scenic mountain road could be life-threatening. Engineering equipment operator Herb Ferguson said he's been in the position for 23 years. He said it can be harrowing to be in one of the bulldozers they call Pioneer Cats, named both for the heavy equipment company and because they are the first to go out on the road. You're under new snow that
1: nobody's ever been through, so you can feel all the changes in the snow underneath the bulldozer. And so sometimes you'll push out and you'll sink. So you'll go out with the bulldozer and you'll just feel a drop. And that's always uh, a little bit scary, but it's a normal part of operating the machine.
0: He said there is a lot to look forward to when plowing the road, including ample animal sightings like wolverines and bighorn sheep. The danger of the job occasionally crosses his mind, but he trusts that the crew is following safety protocols to the best of their abilities when it comes to avalanches and maneuvering the large equipment on the narrow road. The Sun Road opens to hikers and bikers through the west side entrance on May 5th, where it'll be open to Lake McDonald Lodge. Park officials said that typically the road doesn't open to Avalanche Creek until Mother's Day weekend. Construction is still ongoing in that area, and officials are warning visitors to prepare for bumpy and uneven roads. The east side of the Sun Road is currently open to rising sun and is available to hikers and bikers. Ballots are due May 2nd for registered voters living in school districts that are holding mail-ballot elections. Ballots may be mailed or hand-delivered but are due in a voter's respective district by 8 p.m. Mail-ballot elections are underway in Cayuse Prairie, Columbia Falls, Kalispell-Kyla, and olney Bissell school districts. Voters are reminded to sign the outer envelope containing their ballots before returning it. Envelopes must be signed by the person who has issued the ballot. Polls will only be open in three school districts holding walk in elections on May 2nd Deer Park, Swan River, and Whitefish. Polls will be open at Deer Park School in Columbia Falls from noon to 8 p.m. In Swan River, polls will be open from 7 a.m. to 8 p.m. in the school library. In Whitefish, polls will be open from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. at the district office. Contested trustee elections are being held in Cayuse Prairie, Columbia Falls, Deer Park, Kalispell, Kyla, Swan River, and Whitefish. Cayuse Prairie, Kalispell, Olney Bissell, West Valley and Whitefish school districts have put levies on the ballot. With the exception of Olney Bissell, these school districts are seeking approval of general fund levies. Find candidate profiles and more information about the upcoming election day on our website, dailyinterlake.com. The Imagine If Board of Trustees has decided to continue pursuing the Gateway Community Center as a new home for the Kalispell branch, but members still hope to garner enough support to find a more suitable location in the future. After a meeting spent grappling with the limitations set before them, the majority of trustees voted April 27th to have Flathead County Commissioners sign a letter of intent to buy the space, a necessary step to begin negotiations with county officials over the library's stipulations for the location. County officials initially suggested the location inside the former mall building just off of US 2 last year, though it received a lackluster response from library trustees at the time. Though they have pursued a new home for the Kalispell branch in recent years, citing maintenance issues with the current building and lack of compliance with the Americans with Disabilities Act, they turned down the commissioner's offer. Board Chair Doug Adams listed off the 16 stipulations for the location that he sent to county officials last month, which largely focus on ways to improve the building and ease the financial burden of the move. Gateway offers a way to alleviate a time crunch facing the library, since the lease for its current building is up in 10 years, though it is not a popular option among the public or trustees. Trustees Carmen Cuthbertson and Jane Wheeler, who sit on the Facilities Committee, listed several properties that have come to their attention recently. Despite the new prospects, Adam expressed doubt that the board could agree to a site and find money necessary to purchase and develop it within the next decade. Adams argued that moving into Gateway will buy time to raise funds for a more ideal facility without leaving the library homeless in the interim. Cuthbertson, though, expressed concern that if the library relocated to the former mall, the branch would lose public interest. I think that's such a tiny detail. I think what the public will see is they're putting the library out there to die. Mm-hmm. And I think that will destroy all fundraising potential that's out there. Trustee Heidi Rodell ultimately made a motion to have the commissioner sign the letter of intent. It passed 3-2 to with Cuthbertson and Wheeler voting in opposition. The letter is non-binding for both parties. Read these full stories at dailyinnerlake.com. Now it's time for our deep dive segment. This week, I'm chatting with Flathead County Substance Abuse and Mental Health Collaboration Specialist, Jeremy Dear Rule, who shares his thoughts on what the community needs in terms of mental health resources. Hey, Jeremy, thanks for joining us.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Can you kind of explain what your position is and what you do for mental health in the county?
1: Yeah, so technically, my position is Mental Health and Substance Use Collaboration Specialist for the Flathead City County Health Department, as well as a crisis coordinator for the county. So I kind of wear two different hats.
0: Gotcha, gotcha. Can you um, tell me a little bit more about the the crisis um, management side of that?
1: Yeah, so the crisis coordinator, I mainly facilitate the Fayette County Behavioral Health Collaborative, um, which is comprised of many of the uh, leaders, key kind of key stakeholders and leaders of different organizations um, that are in the realm of behavioral health, as well as uh, law enforcement and some other uh, key players that are sitting in, in that collaborative Um and it's mainly surrounded focusing on the community crisis services, which is uh, uh, that crisis now model. And uh, the crisis call centers are one part of it, uh, which is 911 and then the 988, that new uh, nationwide mental health uh, kind of hotline, if you will. Um, and we and then in conjunction with two on one. So, Uh, All those three different call centers are working collaboratively together in order to, um, you know, make that that crisis call center, which 988 is that main crisis call center line. And then from there, we have mobile crisis response, which here currently in a flathead, we have our crisis assistance team, which is a co-responder model. They work closely with law enforcement and Um, are able to respond to anyone within the community that are in crisis or experiencing any crisis and able to uh, meet them where they're at in the community. And um, depending on, you know, if they're able to resolve um, within the community or if they need to take them on to further care. And the last bit is the crisis facility that makes up that crisis now model. What that looks like is there's crisis receiving. That's a 23 hour 59 minute, um, you know, care. And then you have the next up would be the crisis stabilization, which is a few days, a little bit longer care. And then mid level would be uh, comparable to Logan Health Behavioral Health or we used to be Pathways. And then the highest is the Montana State Hospital. So,
0: gotcha. Um, I wanted to ask a little bit more about the crisis response units. Mm-hmm. Um, what have you heard from law enforcement about that program? It seems like that might help them out a lot.
1: Oh, definitely. It it helps them out a great deal. It It not only saves time on their end, but then also oftentimes law enforcement are responding to calls that they may not be necessarily equipped to handle as far as anybody who might be Maybe experiencing any sort of mental health crisis, and so having that resource as a co-responder who's a licensed, you know, social worker who can come in and kind of give a little bit of those assessments, and then able to, um, you know, take it from there for law enforcement. So it's a it's a huge asset for them, Um, and then they also help coordinate the crisis intervention team academies that occur here in the flathead and that occurs once in the spring, once in the fall. And it is designed for law enforcement to at least get uh, some hands-on training. It's approximately 40 hours is the length of that academy, but um, it's a, it's a way that they can get those tools on board if they have to respond and the co-responder may be off shift or not able to um, you know, Maybe on another call. So it, it's, a, it's another tool in their tool belt that kind of introduces them a little bit more into that world of uh, somebody who may be experiencing, you know, mental health issues or, um, you know, could be co-occurring, which is uh, substance use with uh, mental mental illness.
0: Gotcha. I wanted to ask you, um, when you think about mental health here in the Flathead, what are some of the challenges that come to your mind?
1: We don't have enough services. <laughs> um, not only that, but uh, mental health professionals as well. Um, you know, oftentimes what we're finding are um, providers that are are losing uh, some mental health professionals within their within their organizations, and so um, you know, making sure that we're replenishing that. Either through like an academic pipeline or um, other ways is is key. But um, you know, I would say a little bit lack of of, of all of the above. <laughs> um.
0: So you you said that mental health professionals, you some of them are leaving. Is there like a reason for that across the board, or is that just like different?
1: I'm sure it's different reasons for whomever. Uh, I'm sure it's individualized. Uh, but. Um, also, you know, even just trying to hire on somebody who can afford to, uh, first of all, find a place, second of all, afford to live here it has always been a major challenge for many employers, especially within the healthcare field. So it, um, it's no different uh, as far as that goes. So just even trying to hire individuals that are qualified in order to do the job. And um you know as we're experiencing some growth here in the flyhead, it's uh it, it's become a little bit more of a challenge so
0: so our city reporter Adrian Noller just wrote a pretty com- comprehensive article about mental health here. Um, he had a particular focus on some of these crisis facilities that we used to have that have recently closed. Mm-hmm. Um, what impact did those closings have here?
1: so it it displaces individuals back out that may not have the the needed help, um, that they, that they desperately do need. So, um, uh, oftentimes they go back into the system, whether that's through the hospital or through jail, um, or, um, or even just not being able to access the, the resources that they do need. So, um, it, it does have profound effects in the system in general. And with other organizations, uh, I can see an increase in, um, some of their already full plates uh to try and take on more has been a it's been a challenge right.
0: so so you mentioned before that uh facilitating or getting a crisis facility here is part of your job can you explain a little bit about where you are in that or how that's going
1: mm-hmm. so right now we're in a preliminary phase we're just in the planning phases of it at this point in time but we're looking at um a potential crisis receiving facility as being that kind of low barrier um, type of place where a mobile crisis response team can take individuals to law enforcement can drop off without having to wait. Um, and so it, it alleviates a, a lot of those things to have uh, kind of a receiving center in place here in the community. So that's been identified and flagged as a, as a uh A priority, and it's been having a lot of conversations surrounding it, and and getting getting, pushing it forward. So um, we do have some a little bit of seed money that we are uh, looking at to try and get a crisis receiving center uh, location first identified, and then second um, operationally, and figuring out all those pieces to the puzzle takes uh, a while, and it takes a collaborative effort amongst um, many, many different types of individuals and organizations in the community.
0: All right. Well, you've told us about the crisis coordination part of your job. Um, what other kind of things have you been working on recently?
1: Yeah, so uh, I do my mental health and substance use collaboration uh, specialist hat, and I sit on quite a few different other kind of uh, coalitions and uh, collaboratives. Uh, and so with Communities That Care, uh, board and key leader group, as well as the um, universal screenings, I facilitate a committee that uh, does that. And so that's in a pilot stage that is wrapping up and it's been highly successful with um, you know doing some Uh, Screening tools for suicide ideation and for uh, anxiety, depression, functional impairment, and uh, uh, CRAFT, which is substance use. And so being able to flag any of the students, um, that screen's high, and they can get immediate intervention that same day. Um, Or if they are moderate, uh, they can do... uh, intervention, they do get intervention one to two days after, depending on the capacity of the, of the schools. And uh, oftentimes uh, the students who have already screened high are often seeing, um, you know, already connected to therapists or whomever. There are occasionally those kids that fly under the radar um, that are captured and able to get the help that they need. And so we've seen dramatic drops from a screening that had happened um, in the fall, and then uh, to the screening that happened in the spring.
0: Gotcha. And those are uh, screenings that are happening at local schools around here. Um, what what schools? Like how many schools are you guys doing that in?
1: So the pilot project only focused on uh, one high school, um, and it's been high school aged uh, students. And so uh, the screening is designed through Rural Behavioral Health Institute. Uh, and it is designed for 6th through 12th grade.
0: So Mental mental Health Awareness Month is in May. It is. Um, what have you guys got going on for that?
1: So I've got a list, <laughs> <laughs> comprehensive <laughs> list, of all different kinds of um, events that are happening within the community here um, and many other organizations that are putting it on as well. But uh, to kind of kick off things, there's going to be uh, Scott Erickson at the Flat Valley Community College on April 29th at 5 to 8 p.m. And then the Nate Shoot Foundation is putting on a youth mental health first aid on Gateway Community Center, May 9th, 9 a.m. to 2.30 p.m. Raleigh House is doing an ice cream cream social uh, from May 11th, and that's at 3.30 to 5.30 p.m. NAMI family support groups, uh, Gateway Community Center, first Mondays um, of every month from 6 to 7 p.m. And then in Columbia Falls, they do it on the 4th Thursday, uh, also from 6 to 7 p.m. And then uh, the Mental Health Symposium, which is uh, on May 18th, will be at Gateway Community Center at 5 to 8 p.m. And there they're going to have a panelist of speakers as well as a couple keynote uh, speakers. That will be talking about what to do if uh, you're in crisis. So that's kind of the main theme surrounding it. And uh, uh, the keynote speakers will be Jeff Olsom and uh, Megan Peel from DPHHS and the Children's Bureau will be there to speak. And then uh, finally, to end things on June third, NAMI family and friends training at Gateway Community Center, 9 a.m. to 1 p.m.
0: Why do you think it's important that we, as a community, we as individuals, focus on mental health? And you know, we have a whole mental health awareness month. Why do we take the time to kind of remember this stuff?
1: Well, uh, currently, right now, in this in this community, and I would say other communities statewide and even nationally, um, we've experienced right now a kind of a mental health, behavioral health crisis. And it's even more important now than ever before to pay attention to it and to make sure that uh, folks are getting the help that they need if they've been diagnosed with either, um, it could be, you know, suicide ideation, depression, anxiety, Um, you know, there's, the list can go on and, and, and it affects um, pretty much everybody in some capacity or another. So uh, it is important to take note and, and to be active and coming up with certain solutions in the community to make it to make it improved.
0: Gotcha. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, Jeremy is the again the Flathead County mental health coordinator. Um, thanks for joining us.
1: Thank you for having me, Taylor. I Appreciate it.
0: A story detailing May's mental health awareness events can be found at dailyinterlake.com. Did you know the Daily Interlake has a breaking news app? Get up-to-date information about what's going on in the community. Search Daily Interlake in the App Store. It's starting to warm up and you know what that means, it's time to get outside. Here's a look at what events are coming up this week. Author and University of Montana professor Christopher Peterson will be speaking about his new book, Tenacious Beasts, Wildlife Recoveries That Will Change How We Think About Animals, at the Northwest Montana History Museum on Thursday. Questions of coexistence, conservation, technology, and ethics are central to environmental philosophy, which Preston embraced as a way to apply philosophy to something practical. His talk is May 4th and starts at 6.30 p.m. The Kalispell Farmers Market returns this weekend. An array of produce, baked goods, and crafts are available at the weekly market that will run through October. For more information, contact Kalispell Farmers Market at Hotmail.com. The market takes place at the Flathead Valley Community College and runs from 9 a.m. until 12.30 p.m. And the 2023 Montana Spartan Trifecta takes place this weekend near Big Fork. Spartan Race is the world's leading obstacle race series. Each race is designed to test endurance, strength, agility, and mental toughness. The event brings people from all across the country to Big Fort to compete. Find out more information about taking part or spectating at spartan.com. Find dance lessons, art classes, and more about what's going on in your community at dailyinnerlake.com events. Thanks for joining us. News Now is a new podcast from the Daily Interlake. We're proud to be the largest news-gathering operation in the region and one of the oldest papers in the Valley. Consider becoming a subscriber to support our work. Call Circulation at 406-755-7018 or go to the Manage Subscription tab in the top right corner of our website. Everybody stay safe and have a great week.